405, and we are up to uh, analogy number, number uh, a very nice analogy. So yesterday, what we finished with on page 404 on number 24, when one addresses a divine manifestation that refers directly back to God, one says Adonai, which is the way we pronounce Hashem's name, the Yud Kevavke. However, this time it's actually spelled Aleph Dalid Nun Yud, right? So what is this idea? So this idea is saying these are different. We are describing something that is directly impacted by God and, and is part of our world, the way in which we recognize the presence of God in our world, but in a very direct manifestation, as opposed to everything is really coming from God. Right, but some of them are less directly manifested. Some of them are God impacting the world through His forces, and therefore the things that we are able to point at and say, "There's a divine manifestation that's actually directly back to God without any intermediaries." That we then refer to as Adonai. This is analogous to how the sun's rays shine differently depending upon the object in question and other conditions, while the sun remains the same single entity. Right, so the sun itself is always going to be the same. Whether or not it's shining on the world in a specific way, or whether or not there's, you know, a water a water pile, and therefore it's a um, a rainbow, or if there's clouds in the sky, too much moisture in the air, and there's a rainbow, but that's really the sun's rays are still exactly the same. It's just how the way that we perceive it down on Earth that it looks differently. But this analogy is not completely accurate. For it to be accurate, the sun would have to be imperceptible to us, and all that we could see would be the rays. We would only logically conclude that there was a cause for these rays. It's necessary for us to expand on this a bit for a question arises. How can we refer in spatial terms to that which occupies no space? How can we believe that the entity which we identify is the prime cause? Okay. So in, in general, why are we using terms that seem to refer to God as, um, as if it takes up space? Right. And also, number two, how could, how could we say that there's an, an entity which we've identified and that itself is the prime cause? Let us begin our answer with the following introduction. A person's senses do not truly perceive the essence of the object that he is sensing. They only perceive the attributes. For example, the senses do not perceive anything about a king except his appearance, form, and proportions. But this is not the true king that people accept and exalt. His appearance is not static. During battle, you see the king with one type of garb, and when he is in the provinces, he wears another set of garb. And when he is in his palace, he wears yet another set of garb. Despite this, you know that he is the king because your intellect concludes this even if your sensory perception does not. In other words, uh, to some extent, we don't really perceive anything in a, in a tangible physical sense about a king except for appearance, form, and proportions. But ultimately, appearance, form, and proportions, of course, changes depending on, is he on a diet? Did he eat a lot recently? What sort of clothing is he wearing? Well, are you going to say that he's no longer the king, right? So if we rely solely on our sensory perceptions, then you can make the obviously fatal flaw of thinking that, right? But that it doesn't really, it's not actually reality. Reality is that what we identify as the king is the individual beneath the surface, right? You may see him at one time as a child and another time as an adolescent, then as a mature man and later as an elderly man. You may see him at one time as a healthy man and at another time as a sick man. Thus, to his appearance, the way he feels, to your touch, his constitution, and his attributes all change over the course of time. Yet you still declare that this is the same person. You are sure that he is the king, for he is the same person who spoke to you, commanded you, and admonished you. All this arises because the king to whom you are referring is really the king's intellect, the speaking soul. It has already been demonstrated that this dimension of the king is an entity which occupies no physical space, nor can one point to it. 
yet you do point to it by declaring it to be the king, right? A fascinating idea, an idea that the Rambam, Maimonides, also spends a great deal of time trying to expand upon and elaborate. The concept being that when we talk about a human, right, the, the reality is the only thing that's really true, that's really essential, that really exists about a human is their soul and their intellect, right? So, so too, when you're trying to define a king, we have to recognize that when we define a king, we're defining the king, which is really an abstract idea, which is really an, 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 the essential fundamental idea of what a king is or what any individual is, is really abstract. It's not really a physical entity. And that element of it, which is abstract, does not occupy any physical space. And yet still, we say this is the king, not exactly the king, right? What we're pointing to is not exactly the king. That doesn't define who the individual is. The consciousness is not contained within the individual, so to speak, right? It is partially within the individual, right? But on a high level, it's not. Once the king dies, you now declare that this is not the king, despite the fact that he has the same appearance as he always had, but rather a lifeless body. Whoever wishes to move it may do so, and its future is left to chance. The body is thus in your eyes like the clouds which appear randomly in the sky, carried away by one wind and brought back by another gathered together by one windy current and scattered by another. Previously, however, the body would not operate except by the will of the king's soul. It was thus like the divine pillar of cloud which cannot be scattered by the wind. Okay? So the analogy that he's using now, right? So we're two analogies away from God at this point, right? First, we start off with the analogy of what a king is, that the essence of the king is not something that we can actually try to define. Yet still, we point to it because it is the most most visibly perceptible thing to our senses. So we point to it and we define it as the king when of course it's not really the king. And he points this out as we see when you don't call the body of the king the king anymore once the king is dead, right? Now, similarly to the clouds, the clouds that typically appear randomly in the sky, but beforehand the body, in other words, and afterwards that's the situation, but beforehand the body would not operate except by the will of the king's soul. Right? So then a bit more similar, roughly analogous to the divine pillar of cloud, which the Talmud teaches was not able to be scattered by the wind. Parenthetically, by the way, in the first base Hamikdash, the cloud of smoke that arose from the Mizbeach, from the altar when they were bringing sacrifices, also was not able to be scattered by the wind, right? Because there's one more way in which it's, it's uh, reminiscent of their travels through the desert. Here's another analogy. The sun appears to us to be a round, flat disc, the size and shape of a round shield. Its appearance indicates that it gives off light, is hot, and is stationary. But our intellect decrees that the sun is really a great sphere, about 166 times larger than the earth. It also decrees that the sun is not really hot, nor is it stationary. Rather, the sun moves in two opposite directions, one eastward and the other westward, according to conditions which are too lengthy to discuss here. Um, these are actually all um, incorrect, right? The, um, I mean, I guess you could say that the sun moves in two opposite directions is a reference to the fact that vis-a-vis -vis our perception of any given point on earth, seemingly the sun is moving in two opposite directions when, when really, of course, it's our perception. So that maybe makes sense. The sun is actually hot though, right? And the sun is actually far larger than the earth. But the point is still true. The point is still true that looking at the sun using our perceptive abilities, right? And a child who is, does not have any scientific understanding looking at the sun will have no real understanding 
of what it is, and their perception will be completely off from reality. In fact, I think it's maybe this is even the better proof that even the scientific understanding during the time of the Kuzari was still off of reality of what the sun actually was, right? Even, even though they were scientifically advanced, they still didn't have it correct. The senses were therefore never given the ability to perceive the true essence of things. Rather, they possess only unique abilities to perceive their attributes, but not the essence. From them, the intellect is able to deduce the essence and cause of things. Typically, we use the attributes as our puzzle pieces that help us actually try to understand the essence and the cause. Only a complete intellect is able to independently arrive at a correct understanding of an object's essence and its mode of operation. Thus, any act of intellect, such as that of the angels, is able to grasp these concepts independently without the need for in intermediary attributes to identify the object. But our intellects, which are only passive and primitive due to our physical nature, cannot grasp the true essence of things except for those things that God allows us to understand, the special faculties with which he graced us. God placed these faculties within our senses to allow us to sense an object's physical attributes. Okay? So were we to have a higher level of understanding of reality, right, then we would be able to independently arrive at a correct understanding, right? But the problem is that for us, we don't have that high level. We have primitive intellects. We have very weak intellects, and that's because we live in the physical world. And what he means to say, I believe, is like this. Because we live in the physical world, because we are destined to live in a physical world so that we can have free will, by definition, our vision is very much clouded by the physicality that surrounds us in this world. And because our vision is very much clouded by the physicality that surrounds us in this world, by definition, that's the first step of understanding that we will always be destined to have. It's only if we're able to break through that, we can start getting to a deeper understanding. But intuitively and naturally, organically, the way that we would come to an understanding of the essence of anything would be to use our physical senses to come to some sort of perception of what attributes are, exist surrounding the essence and then try to use that to deduce something deeper and more integral to what the essence of that object really is. Unfortunately, though, that's difficult. And, and though tomorrow night, as Hashem, we'll talk about the certain elements that God allows us to get through these special faculties that he has endowed us with and the levels that we are able to have some level of understanding of true essence and nature of specific objects. Rabbi, if we had the same perception as the angels, though, like the angels, we wouldn't have free will, right? They don't have free will. Uh, I think we've talked about this before. If we could just see God, that uh, was so obvious right in front of us, that it would defeat the whole point of us having free will, right? Correct. Correct. And then that is why that is why we are more immersed in the physical world. And that is, of course, why Adam and Eve don't have to wear clothing before they eat from the Eitz Adas, because they're not in, involved in the physical world. And they see spiritual. They see the spiritual essence. Their physical identity is, is completely corollary to the, to the spiritual essence, the reality of what we are. The attributes are nothing to them, right? And attributes means anything physical. It's only after eating from the Eitz Adas that now they've achieved a level of free will, specifically because now they have this block of physical identity that actually now obscures the spiritual reality that they used to be privy to. So they got their free will from eating from the, the, I didn't realize that. Okay. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Take care guys. Be well. Good night.